Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. PK, yeah, you did it yesterday. You divided the audience. We talked about it in this segment at the start. The question of the day, are you going to be able to uh, enjoy game by game? Or are you going to be hung up on, you got to win the championship, so then there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. You can't. It's more relief, and you don't enjoy individual games. And uh, a guy tweeted at us, and a lot of people now have liked and retweeted it. Uh, I see no reason the preseason expectations have any bearing on my enjoyment. If they win, it's fun. Uh, if they go to the Pac-12 title game, I get to go to that. That's fun. A Rose Bowl would be amazing. If they don't win, that's not fun. That's all it is. Winning's fun and way more fun than not winning. But there are people here. Dan, it sucks. I'm stressed. Nowhere to go but down. I much prefer the underdog role. Well, you don't have the underdog role. That's interesting. You prefer it, but you work hard, the program does, to get to this point. And that was the one thing that the coaches, when they came by, particularly the veteran coaches, you know, not somebody so much uh, Kelly and Herm Edwards and Tucker. Those guys haven't been there that long, right? And one or two years but guys like Peterson and David Shaw guys have been around and have been favorites and understand they said they went at length saying Utah has earned this they deserve it and they rightfully have it because of the amount of work that they put in because those guys know what it takes well, they, they've they, done it yeah. Chris Peterson has played the games he's recruited against Kyle their coaches have seen each other on the recruiting trail he played against Kyle when he was at Boise State, and Kyle and the Utes were in the Mountain West. And now here they are, you know, Washington, Utah, and the Pac-12. So he knows how much work he's done over the years. He knows how much work Kyle's done over the years. Exactly. I mean, they literally parallel each other. Yes. And so they, both of those guys talked about how, yes, Utah deserves this. They've earned the right. You just aren't picked favorite because, ah, we've got to pick somebody. You've earned the right to be considered that favorite, and they are the definitive favorite in the South. Now, some of it, to a degree, I will say, goes that there isn't a serious challenger. The programs are a little bit off right now to be able to be considered a serious challenger. So you're opening up the Secretariat-like lead partly because you're a really good horse, but partly all the other horses just aren't keeping up their end of the bargain. Although I would never go Secretariat. That's a legend. Yes, yes. I was just thinking Secretariat by 31 at the Belmont. That was literally one of the greatest, if not the greatest greatest moment in sports history. Secretary is one of the top five athletes this planet has ever seen. Okay, don't don't derail the topic. <laughs> I am not derailing the derailing topic. Them. I'm amplifying the topic. So, because <laughs> uh, the history of the Pac-12 media is that they picked the division champs less than half of the time. I mean, they got them all up on the Pac-12 website. You can go check that the history. It doesn't matter. So, it's if you're usually... earned this right to be right. picked. That's two different things. Usually, if you're first or if you're second, you know, you're close enough. I think actually more teams Teams that have been picked second have won than teams that have been picked first. The Sun Devils, in the eight years that they've been doing this, six out of the eight, they've exceeded the preseason poll. Right. So you don't have to get too worked up about it. As recently as last year and the year before. But it does look different this year because it doesn't look like there's another 10-win team. I'm not even sure if there'll be another 9-win team. Well, there was only two teams to qualify for bowls last year. Right. ASU and Utah. That was it. The other four in the South didn't get to six wins. No. Brutal. And that is brutal. Come on, Arizona. Come on, USC. 
It most definitely is brutal that <laughs> right. they did not get to six wins. Particularly, actually, SC would be the most understandable given schedule. If you just look at schedule, now if you factor in history and everything else, right? It's not. And, and but, but the thing is that they were they were they were five and six going into UCLA, and UCLA was terrible. So they should have gotten the sixth win. But there's no right. question. Although I don't think six and six versus five and seven really matters. No, but it would have <laughs> it would have said that we'd had four disappointing seasons instead of four teams didn't make a bowl game. If they would have chosen to go to a bowl, I don't know that necessarily they would have at six and six. But at least like Arizona was picked with a Heisman candidate, and they don't play any P five non conference opponents. Cakewalk. Yes, and they still couldn't get it done. <sighs> Good going, Arizona. Now. In their defense, they played two pretty good non-P5s. BYU and Houston lost them both and got their quarterback hurt in the process. And yeah. then that was uphill and a mess the rest of the Although year. Although he sucked against Yeah, he was healthy. BYU. He got hurt in the second game against Houston. Yes. And it was already going south. So I don't know that these guys are going to just win the South outright. You know, it'd be nice if they did, but they've nevertheless they've earned the right to be in this position. If they win at seven and two, and SC or ASU or whoever goes six and three, that's good enough. They don't have to lap the field. No, 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 not at if all. They're seven and two, and they're going to conference title game. Then they got a decent chance to win it. That's interesting. Would you take a seven and two with the South right now? Oh yeah, there'd be some who say no. Probably, but I would. I thought you were talking to me. I didn't know that was rhetorical. It's both. We can leave that out there. But if I were a Ute fan right now, I would say 7-2 back to title game. I mean, that's a, that should mean at least nine, probably ten wins. I mean, if you're 7-2, you'd probably be BYU. Well, yeah. you're either 9-3 or 10-2. and two. Right. And you're in the Pac-12 title game? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Some folks Because I just no. don't think any Ute fans – well, I shouldn't say any. You're right, because there are some. But there aren't very many Ute fans thinking playoff. They're thinking Rose Bowl. And again, win the conference to go to the Rose Bowl. I think there's at least 30% who are thinking playoffs. Really? Yeah. I was actually, mulling, after I said that, I was mulling over the number, and I was going 10, 15, 20, trying to pick one of those numbers. 30's, 30's higher than I would have gone with. Because you're going to get there at 10 and 2. It's not that big of a leap then. To get 11 and 1. I just feel like with their non-conference and the Pac-12's rep, and their Could lack of well previous season's rep, you know, they're not coming off multiple 11 and ones. I got it. That, that they would get left out. I got it. And yeah. maybe not. There could be another conference champ out there with two losses and they'd be good to go. Yeah. Because they just take the best records. The strength of schedule thing is just a tiebreaker for one loss teams. The undefeateds are in, the two loss teams are out. And now, how many one loss teams we got? That's, that's been, I mean, you can couch the college football playoff committee however you want, but that's how they have made, it's not a long history, but every year they've had to make a decision, that's the decision they've made. Undefeated in, two losses out. Okay, how many one-loss teams we got and how do we split those ties? Huh? DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. All right, that's putting a bow on, on yesterday, but we got a lot of good stuff at the end of the show yesterday. Uh, you got a question up for people to ponder today. Open to the Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, the Wildcats, everybody. We'll get to all that in a minute. Greg Rubel, voice of the Cougars, is coming up next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. 
Tune into the Tour of Utah podcast on 1280thezone.com. The podcast includes tips for how to train for the summer of cycling and where best to see the Tour of Utah in action. Time to talk a little BYU football now with Greg Rubel, play-by-play voice of the BYU Cougars. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Greg, good morning. Good morning, and it was a fitting musical intro, as I know that uh, you... And I all believe and embrace the spirit of radio. <laughs> yes, we do. We do embrace the spirit of radio. So, the Cougars, as things get underway here with the camps kicking off and all that, it's a big week. What's your number one question about BYU football? How long it takes for Zach Wilson to look full go, look like he's throwing it 100%, I guess would be the question we have um, top of the chart during August. All right, I'm going to assume and take them at their word that they thought that he would be ready uh, by the time the season starts, so we still have got another month for that uh, to get going. With, yeah. with that in mind, so just for argument's sake, assume that you know he's playing at the level that he's capable of playing. What does that mean for the production of the offense this season? Well, I, I guess we should probably uh, go back to the you know last time he played and 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 when he did you know last suit up he was he was pretty darn good and he was playing hurt at that time so you know he, he wasn't necessarily 100 percent the last time he played and he was okay um, so you know if, if if they repair what they need to repair and, and and everything's gone the way it's supposed to go and and the the pacing of the rehab, you know, aka pitch count works as designed, then then all is well. Um, I, I guess the positive is that even when he wasn't, you know, totally perfect with the arm, he he still managed to be pretty productive. And I thought that, you know, from a productivity and a, a chunk play standpoint and a bigger play perspective, BYU was better uh, second half of last year than the first half of last year. And the objective now would be to kind of capitalize off of that and springboard it to be an even more um, you know, more explosive offense. You, you, you just wish, if you're a BYU fan, that you could have a promising quarterback uh, have a whole entire healthy offseason before that next season comes. That hasn't been the case with BYU. If he can't go, how much confidence do you have in the guys behind him? Well, I guess I look primarily to to the main guy, and that would be Jaron Hall. He's a different kind of player uh, than Zach Wilson, but I think there were there were pretty valuable reps he got in spring, and and you know I I just want Zach Wilson to be able to be the guy uh, on on day one, uh, but if he's not, um, you know Jaron Hall is an an, an adequate um, you know fallback. Uh, he's super athletic and and not maybe as developed a passer as Zach Wilson. But is more in the playmaker mold than this than than the straight thrower. Overall, what is your general level of optimism regarding this season? Well, I think BYU could be a a, a really good team and still, um, you know, consider just getting to a bowl game to be a, a pretty decent accomplishment, considering the the, the 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 kinds of games BYU has on the schedule this year. Um, you know, we'd all love to see those double-digit seasons that BYU rolled off uh, a few years ago. But uh, to me, uh, and, and, and not that the bar should be set necessarily this low, but I think, you know, the minimum uh, expectation of getting to a bowl game would mean that you're still a pretty good football team. 
Do you think this team will be good enough to avoid the really embarrassing home loss? Because we all get how tough, the, especially the opening month of the season, but there's tough games after that. But it's just BYU fans just can't handle losing to UMass and Northern Illinois at home. Yeah, it's been a while since BYU's had a, a winning home record. I think it's been three seasons since they've had a winning record at home. And, um, you know, it, that, that's kind of been, you know, at least, you know, last year. I, I look at 2017 as, as kind of a dramatic outlier. There, there were so many things that went wrong that year. But in, last year, I, I think you could, you know, you could look at winning uh, at Arizona and then losing at home to Cal and then winning at Wisconsin all happening in the span of a few weeks you know, kind of uh, encapsulated the uh, the inconsistency BYU struggled with for a lot of last year, and and if you could use the, even use the Utah game as an example of, of what's happening at home, if you take a look over the last decade of football uh, between BYU and Utah, the best chances BYU's had to win games have come in Salt Lake City uh, more than they have in Provo, and, and so BYU does have a bit of a hurdle to overcome relative to consistent home performances. In my mind, you know, you talk about the standard is the bowl. And, you know, I don't have any problem with that. But I look that to have progression in the program, to see that it is growing and it is pointing in the right direction. So I'm thinking last year they established something with the new offensive coaches and they finished strong. So now they have to increase that. So they've got to be a little bit better. So I'm looking for my standard is a little bit better than last year. Is that fair? Sure. I mean, eight wins would be a little bit better. And if you can cobble eight wins out of this year's schedule, I think you're a really good football team. Um, that first month, and it's not just about the first four games. I mean, the, the September does include a road trip to Toledo, and, and that's, um, that's, that's a good team at their level of football and the kind of team that's beaten BYU in the past. You bring up Northern Illinois in Provo. Um, you know, South Florida in the East Coast, you've got four East Coast games this year. There's just enough, um, you know, danger spots on the schedule this year to where if, you, if, if you're playing in a bowl game, you're pretty good. If you're winning eight games, I think you're really good. Anything beyond that, I think you're, uh, you're even better than, uh, expect- better than maybe lofty expectations might have been in the preseason. Um, I, I just look at, I look at 12 regular season games, and if you were to say – you know, uh, and, and no one looks at games like this, you know, on the staff necessarily. But the games you're most favored to win would be three at this point, right? The ones where you feel most comfortable about winning would be Liberty, Idaho State, and UMass coming in November. But I don't think you look beyond that to too many other games and say, well, that's one we're, we're going to count on getting. And so you've got to find a way to get at least three, if not four or five of those other games to get yourself to the point you want to be at or the BYU fan base would like BYU to be at, and that is better than it was before, uh, eight, nine, ten wins. So as you start to uh, do your homework on all these opponents, I mean, we know the names and we kind of know how they resonate and what we think of the programs, but any given year they're up or down. Do you see any games that look a lot tougher than the rep or games that look a lot easier than the rep and these other games you're talking about? Well, I, I think Utah's legit the toughest team BYU's going to see this year. I, I, I just think there's every reason to believe that if BYU can, can you know, somehow find a way to get that game, then they're going to be able to compete with everyone else on their schedule. Whether they win every one of those games is, is, you know, is, is, is the debate. But I think that Utah is just you know, solid in every possible way. And then you, you know, add the, the, the weight of history, and they've got that going for them as well. 
Um, I, I think it's dangerous to ever consider an SEC team to be uh, any kind of game that you should be a favorite in, uh, on the road especially, and with the kind of people they've got back and the money they spent on coordinators there. Um, that whole first four-game slate, I mean, uh, USC I think is expected to be better than they were um, uh, with a quarterback back and the receiving core they've got, and Chris Peterson's got a machine rolling right now. I know it's more than just the first four games, but there's nothing about those first four games that's anything other than extremely, extremely difficult uh, for BYU. And, and so I, I don't know what an acceptable mark is through those first four games, but it's as tough a sled as, as, as BYU is ever going to have. And as, as, as teams who are non-P5s know, when, when you face a lot of P5s in a row, um, you're, you're probably going to come out a little worse for wear. And, and they get them back to back to back to back. It's it's a, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough challenge. And um, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't know what what an acceptable mark is through those four games. I guess I have to kind of see how the opponents look when when BYU plays them. But uh, um, there's just not too many soft spots. Again, even going to Toledo in late September, um, nothing easy about that. I, you know, South Florida is a team that. You know, they did open 7-0 and last year before losing six in a row, so I don't know exactly what Charlie Strong has. But uh, East Coast games have been tough for BYU, and if BYU wins at South Florida, that'll be BYU's first ever win in the state of Florida. They've never won a game in that state before. And then the Boise State-Utah State back-to-back with a bye week in between. I mean, we all know what Utah State looks like lately against BYU, and Boise's Boise, and they've had their number against BYU as well. So... Again, you go first four eight get you first four games. You go first eight games. It's 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 difficult. And then you got that three game slate. You hope to kind of you know get well in. Then you finish at Rocky Long to end the year too. So it's just a really intriguing, compelling schedule to me, guys. And I'm I'm just fascinated by it because I really don't know what to expect at this point. So with the contract situation, Kalani, they haven't extended him, and coaches are always on the hot seat. But do you think that he's playing or coaching for his job any more so than what everybody else is doing? Yeah, probably not more than, than any other. Um, I, I know that historically, right, BYU doesn't let their coaches get into uh, last year situations, and so this would, would appear to be a, a pretty pivotal year in that sense. I think if Kalani can end the year like he begins the year, and that is with a winning overall record, uh, BYU can can show progress. And, and I think that you know the the powers that be know the kind of slate that BYU is you know put in front of the head coach this year. And I think they also believe they got the kind of players to win a lot of games in that slate as well. And so how, how that all comes together may determine um, you know long term prognosis. But I, I I for Kalani's sake hope that there's enough enough success to keep him here a long time. I just have a a gut feel that that he's just just the right guy for this program. And and there's everything about him that I that, that that I love as it relates to BYU and from a personal standpoint I just wish him a lot of success so that he can be here as as long as he would like to be. The running game they bolster it with a couple of grad transfers. What do you know about them? What do you expect out of them? Well I don't know that that, that either of them is is the the impact game breaker, but I haven't seen enough of them to judge that they that they couldn't be uh, the kind of back to have explosive games. Uh, Tyson Williams and Emmanuel Asupa both had some injury issues at their previous stops. More than anything else, though, I think they bolstered depth. And and where BYU got hurt most last year, especially as the year went along, was just not enough um, not enough good bodies of running back by the end of the year to the point where you know a converted defensive player 
you know, Matt Hadley goes out and, and really hurts the team. Um, and and I, I do think that Lopini Katoa is a little bit – I don't know how overlooked he would be because I don't really know what the vibe is about him out there, but he was BYU's touch leader uh, for a lot of good reasons in only 11 games. And of those 11 games, he wasn't a starter in, in all of them. Um, yet when he, when, he, when he was given the ball, I thought he was pretty effective. And, and he was a guy also, too, that we didn't see much in the offseason in the spring. So if Lopini Katoa is healthy and, and Zach Wilson is healthy and Matt Bushman looks to be full speed um, and, and they're deeper at running back and Gunnar Romney can have a healthy second year, I think that, that, that's a pretty good group to build around. And, and when BYU's offenses have been their best – you haven't had to have eight and nine and ten, you know, major playmakers. You've really been able to focus on uh, a smaller group of four, five, and six go-to guys and have them kind of make things run. All right, I agree with that 100%. On the other side, the defensive side, I think there's a lot of the same issues in terms of, well, they've, they've got some pretty good players, but, you know, there's a little bit of a drop-off. And we saw that in the Utah game big time when Kafusi goes down and how much have they been able to improve that situation to be able to withstand the obvious situations that are going to occur over the course of 12 games yeah and I, I want to again kind of look at 2017 as as the the true outlier we haven't seen too many seasons like that in BYU football history but if you take 2016 and 2018 with the you know Sitake Tuiaki you know kind of uh, 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 tandem going in terms of defensive mindset, you've seen a top 25 scoring defense in both of those years. I, I think schematically, as long as as long as Elisa Tuiaki and Kalani Sitake are together, I think schematically you're going to find a defense that's going to be competitive enough to put up those kinds of numbers year in year out. Um, and, and and they don't necessarily have to have you know more than one or two potential NFL draft picks on a roster to be good. And they've had you know, about, about one good draft pick a year the last number of years with, with this coaching staff. Um, I, I think that they're going to be good enough. I think that the biggest progress has to come PK offensively. I, I think the defense has been able to, to do just enough to be in and hopefully win some games, but I think it's been, it's been on the offense to, to hold up its end of the bargain. And if they can just score a few more points, it's going to make a world of difference for this BYU team. I think defensively they're going to be okay. The biggest strides have to come on the other side, I think. Greg Rubel, play-by-play voice of the BYU Cougars, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So there have been a lot of uh, close games. I think there were three losses by a touchdown or, or less last year. So... In special teams, is there a big play there? Whether it's in the place-kicking game or somewhere else, is there a big play to be made there? Is there a group that can give them an advantage? Well, Jake Oldroyd's back, and and if, if you go off a couple of little social media clips, looks like he's got a bit of a leg back with him. When he last left BYU, he made that dramatic kick to beat Arizona, and then he had some back issues. And... You know, you, you and, and BYU's just had the worst luck and been kind of snake bit with kickers lately and, and, and their health and their ability to carry over, you know, high school numbers into college. But, you know, Jake Oldroyd and, and Skylar Southam, um, I, I think will be the guys look to, to take care of most of the kicking duties this year. Uh, one can never speak to what's going to happen in the return game because in the college game, the return game is, you know, almost kind of non existent these days. It, it, it's so rare that big plays are made in the return game. But, you know, from an overall special team standpoint, Ed Lamb has coordinated a pretty solid group, even without 
um, a big leg in the program are those long field goals that Utah tends to make so regularly. In fact, it's been now, gosh, 13 years, almost 13 years, guys, since BYU last had a 50-yard field goal in a game. And so BYU hasn't been able to count on a big leg for a long time. Whether or not this is the year that happens, you know, time will tell. Uh, but I think that Ed Lamb, as a coordinator, churns out a pretty solid, if not very, very good group each year, even without maybe some headline, headline makers uh, in the kicking game that Utah always churns out year by year. So you got Riley Nelson there as your new uh, partner, and I always yeah. thought that he was a great, great interview because he'd process the question and he'd give you detailed answers, extended answers, deep answers to questions, and that he was always a great interview. How do you channel that knowledge into mere seconds because he doesn't have, it's not an interview situation where yeah. he can go on an extended run of his thoughts? And especially, you know, I mean, you're playing, you know, no huddle teams, or if you're t- the team you're calling itself is going to be a quicker tempo team, your your time's even more compressed. And that'll be Riley's challenge, that, and 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 he'll um he'll he'll certainly find out on the fly just what that rhythm is all about. And and, and that'll be and that's any commentator's challenge is getting out what you want to get out in a finite period of time. But uh, I, I I think you're going to get uh, great insight and really cogent analysis, and I think it will be. Uh, a situation where you can learn a lot in a little of time, uh, a little bit of time with Riley, because and and, and you know he'll he'll visually know, you know how to pace himself. Uh, we're both watching the same game, and he knows when when the alignment is set, and he knows when teams are coming to the line, and he knows when he's got to get his, uh, his his contributions out and spoken for. And it'll be a rhythm thing and a chemistry thing, and I'm I'm just kind of uh, excited to you know learn with him and and learn from him. And, and get this new thing rolling. Um, I've never, ever called a football game without Mark Lyons by my side, so it's going to be a, quite an adjustment. Uh, but I look forward to, to getting to know Riley better and obviously getting to work with him, and, and hopefully our listeners will really enjoy uh, what he offers because I've got a, a strong suspicion that he'll, he'll fall right into this pretty well. You mentioned Ed Lamb, and one thing about uh, bringing him in was that uh, he's supposed to uh, identify these guys who are really raw, develop them, and man, if you develop, you know, NFL guys in Southern Utah, you, you got a knack for this. So we're getting to the point you got to allow for the for missions and red shirts and all that, but we're getting to the point now where we ought to start to see some of that paying off. Are there guys that are just totally off the median fans' radar who are ready to take a massive leap? Have you heard any of that? I mean, he's not he's not off the radar at all. So I don't think you know. It, it, but but Kyrus Tonga is is he's I think he's the real deal. I I, I think that he looks a lot like uh, those players Utah's been producing for years now. And um, I, I again they don't they don't always generate the most headlines because of the position they play. But I think he's going to be as important a defensive player as BYU's had in some time, and that's and that's you know again not an off the radar guy, just a really really impressive guy. I know there are a couple of young guys that Kalani has his eye on, but it's just too early to see um, you know if those prognostications will come to fruition because the careers tend to last so long here at BYU. But from a defensive standpoint, um, Kyrus and, and Devin Kafusi are, are guys, that, and Isaiah Kafusi. And Diane Gomulik, who probably my, my big four, Zane Anderson, gives me five. Um, and so I, I, I guess I formulate a pretty short list pretty quickly of defensive players that excite me. But I think if you're looking at, at who might have the, the most pro potential right now, um, it's t- t- tough to avoid Kyrus Tonga. You like the Utah game at the start? 
sure. Yeah, I, I like it late. I really like how it how you know we already we really knew who everybody was by the end of last season, um, and by that by the same token, the injuries played a lot into that game and in, in both sides really. Um, but but first game is uh, yeah, it's it's it's. It's it, it's a great way to start the season. I mean, it's it, it, it and in a way, there's so much riding on it. Maybe more for BYU than for Utah, right? I think Utah, no matter what happens, they've got their league to get into, and that's still a few weeks away. But for BYU, uh, when you're not in a league, this becomes kind of you know the landmark, and and you hope things go your way. And if you don't, you want to find out how the guys have to respond with a really tough back-to-back-to-back trio coming with Tennessee, USC, and UW. So it's uh, pretty intriguing that way. And uh, you find out a lot about yourself right off the start. Um, and, again, I, I think more probably rides on it for, for BYU than Utah. Greg, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again as the, uh, as the season gets closer. Anytime. Uh, you know, all you have to do is, uh, is have Jake shoot me a text, and, and I'm all yours. All right. Thanks, Greg. See you guys. Greg Rubel, voice of the Cougars, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, the question of the day. Local college camps opening today. Utes, Cougars. Now, what are your concerns, your fears? What are you excited about? We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, PK, here we go. Depending yeah. on when you play your opener, you get to have your first training camp practice today or maybe tomorrow. Utah State has an opener a day later, so they're starting a day later. But you get the point. It's here. Camps are here. They're opening. What are your concerns? What are your fears? What are you excited about? I got to say, I'm coming up empty on the last one. What? I don't get that excited about camp. I mean, I'm excited that the football season is getting close because I like watching football but oh, I, I go into camp but camp. I go into camp I go into camp more with question marks okay once so that's camp what I'm, starts that's more you're worried about I'm not thinking oh this guy's gonna be great you gotta think about once camp starts you got three weeks to game week yeah so it's on you really I think you have four no oh to game week not to the game I see what you're saying yeah three weeks to game week yeah. got it yeah, I go in more wondering, okay, is camp going to answer shine, questions? Man, every camp, every, every college football team has a great camp. They got so many things accomplished. Yeah, I can't really buy it's into like that. It's like spring ball. <laughs> I mean, I'm Mr. Happy and I'm Mr. Let's Watch Channel 2, but this is where I fall down. I can't do that. This is great! I can't do that. It's more, what are the questions? I look at the Utes right now, number one question mark, O-line. They lost a lot of guys on the O-line. And I don't know if Kyle, Kyle's gotten into golf. You're into golf. All golfers know about sandbagging. People tell you, what do you normally shoot? And they'll say, ah, I shoot low 80s. Okay, are they sandbagging you because they want to get out and they want to gamble with you and they're really probably going to shoot mid to high 70s? Or they're a terrible golfer. They're just bragging, trying to sound like a big shot. And the truth is, if they ever played bogey golf, they'd strip naked and run around the course and celebrate because they're hacks. And I've done that. 
I'm not surprised. <laughs> so when Kyle, when Kyle Whittingham says we got three linemen we know we can count on, I'm like, well, okay, they had three guys who played a lot of a lot of snaps last year, so you pencil them in. I get that. We got to figure out who the other guys are. Okay, so how's what? What's the spin on that? Is he well? We're seven deep. I know we got seven D one college linemen are pretty good, but I do have to figure out who's going to start and then who's there as a backup to rotate in injury, whatever. Or, man, we got to find two more starters and a couple subs. I'm not sure what we got here. We we might not be good enough. This could be a problem. What's he saying? With what he's literally saying, he's he's leaving the door open. He can come back in two months. I didn't lie to you. I said this a couple yeah, months ago. but that's interesting, though, because this year he might bag on it a little bit more to keep everybody in check. I agree. I, I told 100% Kyle would do that. What, but he also might flat out be telling the truth. Some guys have to improve. They're not at that level yet. Now, you got a month to coach him up. That's a lot of practices, a lot of snaps. But right now, he might be looking at these guys thinking, yeah, you're big enough and you're physical enough and you're quick enough, but you guys get confused when there's blitzes and stunts and how do you pass guys off. And it doesn't matter if you're athletic enough. If you don't have the football IQ and if the brain isn't firing in, in literally tenths and hundreds of a second, some guy's going to come through untouched when you're confused. He's going to blow up our quarterback. He's going to blow up our season. So you're not good enough yet. Now, that's the kind of stuff you can coach up in a month. You can fix that. But it may not be fixed yet. And maybe it never gets fixed. Some guys are big enough and strong enough and athletic enough, but they never figure that stuff out. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm so legitimately interested in this. I was quizzing you during yesterday's show in a commercial break. And you were, you were out of your blowhard radio mo- mode into your analytical uh, ex-beat writer you know, this guy, that guy, what they're looking for. I mean, you're, you're as into it as I am because there's a lot of good answers for the Utes, but if this group doesn't get it together, then it's going to be a disappointing season. If this group does get it together, this could be a great season. Oh, a groundbreaking season in the Pac-12. Yeah. A conference title, a Rose Bowl. Stuff they haven't done before. Groundbreaking. See, but the thing that I like about the start of camp is that it's far, far more serious than spring training, spring ball. Uh, Because you look at it, take Utah as an example, spring ball, public, not just media, but public can go from start to finish as long as it's outside. If it's inside, they have space space, limitations. But if it's outside, you can stand along that fence there on the east side. And watch. And you can watch to your heart's content. Start to finish. Training camp comes. No public access. And (laughs) this year, no media access. So I cannot make any individual observations this year on their training camp. Zero. I can recall going in training camps and remember watching Jake Murphy thinking, man, they, this guy's pretty good. They got a they good tight end. Watching Eric Rowe, freshman. Eric Rowe, second day. He's going with second team. I'm looking at him. I thought, this guy looks pretty good. He's a freshman. Go up to Kyle. I said, you got this freshman running second team. What's going on? Oh, yeah, man. We think he's going to be really good. We think he's going to be an NFL guy. And watching Wisnowski boom punts that only Tom Hackett could dream of booming. <laughs> thinking, seeing it with my own eyes, thinking, this guy looks awesome. And all those guys, those three guys that I just mentioned, all of them were really good players for the Utes. 
two drafted, and Jake Murphy was really good himself. So now I'm not going to be able to do that. I cannot make any individual observations. If anybody tells you they have individual firsthand observations, they're lying. You can get information via the coaches, but you will not be able to see them with your own eyes. That bothers me. Uh, I love the intensity of training camp. And you'll see it. BYU and Utah and Utah State, all three of them have huge seasons on the line. Man, every season is gigantic. And Utah State, all right, you had a big-time season, but a lot of people are saying, eh, man, you, you, you got a fluke schedule there. And, you know, you're playing some crappy teams, and now they've been replaced by Fresno, or not Fresno, but uh, San Diego State, and who's the other one that they didn't play that they got now? Is it Nevada? They've got, uh, they've got Fresno, San Diego, and Nevada. They dumped you on all these San Jose, Hawaii. Yeah. So, ah. I mean, you're taking a major step up. Yeah, and you, you got you a lot of offensive line you got to replace. And, you you know, a running back who got drafted. And, you know, you bring back Jordan Love, great, yeah. But, you know, you lost a lot of players. How's that going to be, Gary? Because, you know, you were somewhat of a controversial hire there. The fan base and the boosters really wanted you because you connected with them. Maybe some others didn't. And so now you're back. Now you got to prove your worth. I mean, what you did back then in the whack, which sucked, was nice, but the Mountain West is way tougher, way tougher than that. And so, you're going to be able to repeat, or just if you can repeat what Matt Wells did last year, that's great. But you're going to be able to do that down no, at BYU, no, man. No, 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 they're not going to be able to do that. Okay, that, that schedule, that schedule was easier or so, softer. You got nine. I think they've upgraded the non-conference. They've upgraded the cross division schedule. Inside the division might be a bit of a wash, but I think the schedule is at least. Two, if not three games harder now. It's night and day. All right, so you're looking at uh, maybe seven, eight, six, eight, and four. I think I think right now if they get to eight, absolutely and declare victory on eight and four. Candidate at quarterback, you probably and have if, the best quarterback you've had since fill in the blank. But it's uh, it's what you you <laughs> you were so funny about ASU. It was probably a week ago now because we were talking about everything they're going to have and then what they're going to be missing us. That's ASU, always out of sync, off cycle. It, it's too bad they got a talented quarterback with experience, ready to play at a high level, but they have nine new starters around him. Yeah, that's rough. That is that is not ideal. And and I would I'd probably adjust the expectations if there were seven starters back, you know. But they're not. They're yeah, if the Devils had a, an experienced quarterback this year, there wouldn't have been that huge of a gap, right, between Utah and everybody right. else. But and so next year, next year the quarterback should be better. the The defense can improve again because there's going to be a lot of young guys. Of Utah State or ASU, ASU, and and you're going to be out of sync because your star running back is going to be gone. I know. I <laughs> you're know. like, oh, come right. on! And they they're going to start five senior linemen. So yeah, so what? That's what's great about Utah this year is it's all come together at the right time. Right. And and it and you can to a degree control your guys. But you can't control whether the other guys suck. And so the South is way down at a year that you're way up. You can win this thing by three games. Eight and one, and everybody else is five and four. That's plausible. Yeah. That is, that's, that's in play. Yeah. You also might end up tied, but <laughs> you could win by three games. Right. But how many times can you say going in? Oh, man, I really don't think anybody in the games. South can do better than six and three. I really think Outside if you get to seven and two, they got it. I would agree. USC might get seven, oh, two, you but take, I don't think you so. You take the South and tell them they're six and three. You're getting some serious sign ups right off the right there. 
put me in. Devils, Arizona, Colorado, uh, Chip Kelly. UCLA would absolutely take six, six and, and three. three right now. Yeah. If that'd get him to seven or eight wins, he'd be at least three and maybe five games better than he ever. That's ago. a major improvement. Right. When you're in your second year. I think Herm Edwards would take that with a yeah. brand new quarterback. USC is the one who might not. Uh, depending on what they did their non conference. Lose to Notre Dame and be eight and four? I think if SC goes eight and four this year and is competitive in all their games. You and I would say I would that that's a step it. forward and that could get Clay Hilton fired. I don't think it would. But I can't. But you can't guarantee. It. Especially <laughs> right. if Urban puts out feelers, I'm in, boys. Right, and it depends on what the eight and four looks like. Bring me and my hoodlums to Los Angeles, and away we go. And I'll own that town. I'm in for life. Or Look two out! Years. Who's that hot shot, McVeigh over there? You ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> that's that's Urban for you. So we'll see how that plays out. But BYU. Man, can you show improvement? It's When you bottom out the way they bottomed out, it's about improvement. And today is the first day. He, Zach Wilson, didn't play spring ball. And everybody holds out half the team anyway in contact stuff. Oh, y- yes, absolutely. So you're not going to put a bunch of guys in harm's way now. But the intensity of, of training camp is so much greater and it starts, and everything counts. Not that it didn't count in spring, but it's way more important now. And then you have your whole roster. You know, you have guys you recruited are now on the team. Before in spring ball, you, you could say you had a third of the team that wasn't even participating with recruits and guys you hold out. Come on, I mean, look at that. That one year they had to get a quarterback who was a walk-on whose eligibility expired. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Well, you okay? That's less than I You would never have that in training camp, and so it is on. The today is an exciting day. It it to me, it's the most exciting of all the sports that we have, and it means the most because in the NFL, you've got weeks and weeks before you play a real game, and you've got four practice games. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. So that thing just seems like go on and on and on. NFL or and baseball, yeah, guys are just jogging, having fun, and then you got thirty practice games practically before it starts. Yep. Here you got you only got twenty eight practices, and then it starts. So the level of importance relative to the few times that you can be out on the field is far more important, and it starts today. All right, we got a lot of time to discuss this as the morning progresses. Are the Utes going to get the O-line put together, and are they going to find a place kicker? How good are these graduate transfer running backs for the Cougars, and is the quarterback healthy enough to throw at 100%? And for the Aggies, <laughs> there are so many questions because there's so many new starters on offense. How good is this team going to be surrounding what should be a really high-level quarterback? And he can help make the game easier for these guys, but they still got to do it. That's literally nine questions right there for the Aggies right out of the gate. We'll get to all that coming up. DJ and PK, what is trending is next. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.